another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is January 22nd, 2016. This is broadcast number 103. I just want to remind everybody, next week, the Spring Theology Conference of the Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary will uh, commence. That is held uh, March 8th through the 10th. And that is held at Woodruff Road Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina. And if you are interested still, uh, there is always time to register for the conference. You can always do that. You can go to our website, gpts.edu, and get all the information there. Um, if you want to write in, email. It's info at gpts.edu. And, of course, the podcast has a website, confessingourhope.com. There you can get the archives. You can find out more information about the host and the seminary and a host of other uh, great resources um, uh, available there at the website, confessingourhope.com. Additionally, we have the GPTS mobile app. If you don't have it by now, you can get it at, at one of the two stores, Apple, Android, and uh, it is free, and so I encourage you to download it, use it. Uh, the podcasts are always on it, as well as the Spring Theology Conferences. We release them uh, at a much later date, but they are all there uh, eventually. And uh, chapel sermons uh, from the seminary and a host of other different types of resources, both in video and audio. So take advantage of those resources. Longtime listeners know this, and they're used to me saying these same things every podcast, so I don't want to sound like I'm repeating myself, but of course I am. So... Um, Anyway, that's just a little about what's going on on the podcast. Today we're going to talk with um, a man I've interviewed before on a podcast that won't be mentioned. And um, uh, we're going to talk with him uh, about a book that he has written. It's actually a book that was uh, is a result of a series of sermons that he preached from First and Second Thessalonians. And so the, the title of the book is From the Pen of Pastor Paul. It's a very intriguing title, and we'll get into the reasons for that. But the guest today is uh, Reverend Daniel Hyde. He is um, the pastor of um, Oceanside United Reformed Church in Carlsbad, California. He has also authored other books, uh, Welcome to a Reformed Church, A Guide for Pilgrims, and the co-author of A Well-Ordered Church. He serves as adjunct instructor at Mid-America Reformed Seminary, as well as Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary, and he has his THM, of course, from Puritan Reformed as well. So, uh, Danny, uh, you told me to call you that, So, um, but anyway, uh, it's good to have you on the program, and um, I'm intrigued by the title of the book, um, so tell us, who does, who came up with that title? Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me. Again, it's been a sure. long time, uh, long time no chat. Um, yeah. yeah, the old podcast, I can't even recall the name of that thing. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the title is my title, and um, yeah, it was like you mentioned. Uh, the the book was put together. I mean, a, a couple of years after I had preached through uh, one and two Thessalonians, and uh, just sat down and thought, you know, to, how to put it into a book and uh, and why. You know, that's kind of one of the questions. Of course, you always think about is you know, well, why is this book even needed? And and if it is, you know, how can I uh, turn, you know, the, the preached word, which is way different than a writing, but turn it into a book and, um, yeah. And think about the, the, the big idea of, you know, what's happening in Thessalonians. And so Paul, uh, as I see the book, uh, Paul is writing to this, uh, this young congregation that he's planted <clears throat> on uh, one of his missionary journeys. And, uh, he's writing to them, uh, as, as their pastor. And, and it's very, it's very, uh, it's very emotional and, uh, very, very tearful, and and so that that close knit feeling that he has as a pastor towards the people, and that you can obviously sense that they had towards him, and so it really is, um, you know, uh, these letters are, are letters from uh, Paul, uh, the apostle, of course, but uh, but they're as uh, uh, as a pastor, as a pastor, write a letter to uh, to congregation, so. Uh, sure. My uh, my my Anglican friends like to say, "Well, I should say from the pen of Archbishop Paul." But I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. I, I try to try to talk talk him off the ledge, I guess. But I wasn't successful. <laughs> no, well, I mean, the reason I I made reference to the title is that you would you would maybe expect um, that the title would say from the pen of the Apostle Paul, because certainly that's yeah what yeah. he was. And I think what you're trying to maybe perhaps trying to accomplish with this title is to just what you just you just said that this is a warm letter written to a congregation that is wrestling with various issues and so he's treat he's really pastoring them though through writing right uh, 
and, and trying to help them and comfort them in various issues. And since that's true, um, and, and any reading of these two letters of Paul, uh, if you miss that warmth, then you need to reread it. Um, but uh, yeah, what are some? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I was, I was just going to add to that. Just uh, you know, well, why? You know, am I saying that? Well, the reason is th- these are the only letters of uh, of Paul's where he only calls himself Paul. The other, all the other letters, you know, he's you know an apostle, you know, this and that, and the other thing. Uh, this, these are the only letters where he just simply uses his first name, uh, Paul, and uh, yeah, it, you know, it communicates there that closeness that they had, that they knew him that well, you know, and that there was no controversy about his uh, his apostolic ministry and his credentials and you know that that sort of thing it was you know Paul was there um you know if you read uh, Acts 17 he's there as as Luke says for three successive sabbaths reasoning in the synagogue um so we're, we're not quite sure if he was only there for 3 weeks and that's when they ran him out of town or maybe he was there for 3 weeks at the synagogue and then possibly you know as he would shake the dust off his feet then go to the Gentiles. Uh, so scholars think, you know, at, at a at minimum, he's there, of course, for three, you know, for three weeks. Um, but most likely, no more than you know, a couple of months. And so, sure. um, you know, and it's that, that's sort of a telling fact that in in just a short period of time, you know, he was able to develop that close of a relationship uh, with his people. Which you know, for us who, who pastored for numbers and numbers of years. You know, it's always uh, it's always a humbling reality <laughs> to face. <laughs> yes. Yep, absolutely. Now, when, when we're when we're talking about the book, I mean, those who have been seminary trained know, and maybe not just seminary trained, but those who know when you study any ancient literature, it's important to understand the background. It's important to understand the context and, uh, and the timeline of which it's placed. What are the issues? And since it's a letter, uh, we know that Paul's addressing issues. Um, in the Thessalonican church, what were some of those issues? Sure. You know, you, you have uh, in, in the opening of Thessalonians, the first three chapters in, in the first letter, uh, you know, Paul is basically writing there a very lengthy, extended prayer of thanks and sort of interweaving some of these thoughts of, you know, when he was there and his desires for them and, you know, leaving Timothy behind and so forth. Um, yeah, so, you know, there's there, there's possibly... Um, you know, there's that distance, and so does, you know, where is Paul, when is he going to come back to us, you know, when is our pastor going to return, so the sort of doubts, and obviously they're being persecuted, I mean, if, if they ran mm-hmm. Paul out of town so stridently, no doubt that church was persecuted heavily uh, after he left, and so, you know, he's reassuring them, uh, and then, then you know, sort of the, the biggie, if you will, is the issue of uh, eschatology, you know, the when is Christ returning, when is the end, um, have, uh, our, our, our lost loved ones, you know, whom we've buried, um, have they missed, you know, the coming, um, who, you know, when is the Lord going to come back and what's going to happen? Um, who's going to be with him and who, 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 who possibly is not. So you have that, um, in one Thessalonians four or five, and at the end of that first letter, um, you know, you have him admonishing them and, and encouraging them to, mm. um, you know, to respect those who labor over them. And it's interesting, you know, he's writing that at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, you know, he's he's the Apostle Paul, and he's the one who goes there, and the Spirit works, and people are converted, and a church is built mm. and gathered, and he's telling them to respect, you know, the other men who are left behind, Timothy and others, you know, who are laboring among them, um, and to esteem them very highly because of their work to be at peace among yourselves and and so forth you know to admonish the idol so there's the typical pastoral uh exhortations but you know you get a sense of that just knowing some of the background if you read Acts 17 and and read between the lines sure. yeah and then two thessalonians you know um very very similar um theme in terms of the uh the the issue of uh eschatology or the 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 end where paul deals with the judgment and christ's coming and then uh, you know, strange, the strange chapter, chapter two, uh, this man of lawlessness, uh, the man of uh, the man of sin, and so forth. Uh, and then at the end, again, at the end of that letter, he writes this lengthy pastoral address about uh, those who are idle, those who won't work, um, because possibly, uh, most likely, um, people thought, well, you know, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Uh, why, why have a job? You know. <laughs> Well, you know that it's yeah. funny you say that because it it has such relevance, practically speaking, in our own 
yeah. 21st century when we've, we've experienced that very thing with people who would date set so strongly. Yep. I'm thinking about one man who, uh, um, was, you know, two or three times absolutely convinced and was absolutely right two or three times and, uh, was wrong all two or three times, right. but people followed that and they quit their jobs. They sold their, you know, they, they sold off their inheritance. They did these various silly things and foolish things yep. and, uh, believing that this man, uh, was right and they were sorely mistaken and, uh, how sad, um, but it's an important point. Uh, you know, I think it was Christ himself that told us flat out. We don't, we're, we're not going to know. Right. So right. don't try to figure it out. We're going to come back to the eschatological issues in the, in the book, because obviously I think for many people, when they think of these two letters, that's what they think of. Right. Um, it's not just the only issue, but, uh, it is one of them, a big, big portion of it, of course. But I want to deal with a little bit about, um, the question of Canon was, uh, were these two letters ever really questioned and they're as authoritative as far as I know, there's never been any controversy about uh, their inclusion in the canon uh, and whether or not they're authentic to Paul. So, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the gist. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I asked that question because, as I've already said, there's a, there's a sense in which you're going to study an ancient letter. You need to know some of these contextual background type material and um, to try to get inside of Paul's head, as it were, and uh, understand why he's writing it and, and for what, you know, what his purpose is and uh, kind of get in his time, as it were, because we're so far removed right. from that period. And so it makes interpretation difficult at times, and if not altogether, well, I won't say it's impossible. Obviously, we have the spirit, but um, it is sometimes arduous uh, labor. Um, but um, Anyway, it's important. And now, the context of the book, you, you've already hinted on Acts uh, 17. You've already, well, you didn't hint. You said flat out. Yep. He spent three Sabbaths there, which is good. But the real question I, I want to know is, when did he write it? In the, in, the, in, 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 in the framework of his visit, at what point, at what period of Paul's life did he write these letters? Yeah, this is uh, very early in his uh, apostolic ministry. Um, you know, he's been sent out, and uh, this is on his second journey, um, so he's going, and this is early, so uh, possibly these are his, uh, at least that one Thessalonians, possibly this is his first letter, um, so sometime um, in the 40s, uh, you know, the, the, the first century, so some, some, somewhere in that range, uh, you know, there's, there's no absolute way to know uh, the absolute dates. Um, you know, I was just—I actually dealt with that issue recently with somebody, my own congregation. You know about the dates and so forth. And if we can't know the dates, how can we know, uh, you know, any, uh, you know, cert uh, with any certainty? You know, these books are, are are the word of God. These letters are the word of God. But yeah, very very early letter. Um, you know, some somewhere in the late forties, maybe early fifties um, of that first century. And you know, you, and again, you you see, you know, there's not a controversy about his his apostolic ministry. You know, he called himself Paul. Um, you know, this is right on the heels of his, uh, of his being, uh, chased out of town. He runs down to Berea South, uh, what's today, Tur uh, what's today, uh, Greece. And, mm -hmm. uh, even there, the same mob that ran him out of town in Thessalonica runs him out of town from Berea. And then he has to travel down to, to Corinth. So he's no doubt writing from Corinth, uh, to them, um, uh, about these struggles and these concerns. And he, and he, he leaves Timothy behind and. So there, there's some way to correspond now, you know, and people have to remember too. There's not, you know, there's, there's no text messaging. <laughs> there's no. There wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, there's. Wow. No, uh, I mean, how did they communicate? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you would have to send a letter, and the letter had to be sent. You know, put it put in a satchel, and either on a ship or on a horse or a person's backpack, basically. And right. uh, I mean, you know, it would take you know days, weeks, months, depending on how far away you want to travel and um you know if you want to travel from greece back to uh the holy land you know for example you can hop on a ship and and be there uh you know fairly soon depending on the weather um depending on the the ship and how many ports you need to stop in off uh stop in at so you know a week possibly more um but yeah but it could be more because you have paul for example at the end of uh, acts when paul's being taken from Jerusalem to Rome, because he's appealed to Caesar, uh, they have to spend an entire winter on the island of Crete. So, you know, a couple of months. And so, you know, the whole travel is probably, 
you know, in upwards of four, four or five months to travel mm. from, you know, what for us would just be hop on a plane and be there in two hours. So, right. um, yeah, you know, that, that kind of a world, it's a slower world. And so Paul would get a letter from someone, from someone, from someone, you know, by the hand of Timothy, uh, over, you know, over land or over sea, uh, he would read that letter and he'd write a response. And by the time he writes his response, by the time that, that response is delivered, you know, let's say a week later, um, you know, you, you assume that the same things are going on, but people are waiting. Uh, yeah. They're waiting for a response. You know, I mean, life goes on, but you're still waiting for a response. And so that's the dynamic um, that that you have there. But that's also it. All again shows the the minute the pastoral ministry side of it, uh, just in terms of you know the care uh, and the concern that went into writing letters. Yeah, it wasn't like he banged it out world. of a computer. You know, it cost yeah, exactly. I mean, it costs money to get to get something to write on. It, it costs money to send somebody to travel because they would have to eat. They would have to stop somewhere and and stay in an inn somewhere. Uh, you know, you uh, assuming there are believers up and down a certain area, they can stop with believers at you know and and be be you know treated to hospitality. But you know, it's it's a costly and timely, very intentional uh, endeavor to write a letter and to care about people and so you know that, that translates to us in terms of how we should think about people and care about people and and be intentional about how we how we spend time with them and and how we you know, sure. sacrifice ourselves for others benefit which really feeds into the whole title um, that you right. set forth in the book and it, it sort of sets that framework or at least the tone of it very well uh, I want to talk about obviously about the format of the book just quickly um, it it is a, a, of course it's it's it comes off as a commentary as it were I mean it's structured that way, yeah. um, but it's not an exegetical commentary necessarily. Um, so uh, what was right. the uh, what's the origin of the uh, of the book itself originally? Yeah, so originally I um, had decided to preach on these two letters because because I, as I mentioned you know the for me these these are you know Paul's most pastoral, um, you know, in the sense of, you know, the, the feelings he has towards a congregation. And so, you know, there's that dynamic. And so I, I decided to preach on these letters because I had uh, received a call to serve in our congregation. I had declined that call and decided to stay where I'm at. And I wanted to, you know, reaffirm my love and commitment mm. to my own congregation and, uh, you know, and to and and to and to see in a letter of the of the scriptures how there's that interplay between pastor and people, uh, and so you know they were very uh, practical, very you know uh, down to earth sermons. And so, like I said, early, you know later on, I decided you know the, these letters are sort of like a, you know a very basic sketch of a pastoral theology textbook, if you will. Um, and so I, I thought you know this would be helpful, I think, for for pastors. To not just to think about how to, how to preach through these books, but also to stir them up to their own calling and their own uh, work amongst their congregations, and for people to read this the, these letters uh, in terms of you know not just learning the New Testament, but also practically speaking, how they um, can can relate to their pastor, um, you know, and realizing that every church has problems, and not every pastor loves every single sheep not every single sheep uh, is willing to submit to the pastor's leadership so you know realizing that you know i would hope that reading through scripture um and reflecting on that as the book does would help congregations to grow uh and to thrive and to be healthy yeah well, that's a great purpose and um interesting story too you know having a call in hand and saying no because of um your concern and love for your the congregation before, so yeah, ministry is hard at times. Right. And so it's good to have that help and and see you know even a, the apostle Paul you know reached out in a pastoral way. There there was a on the back of the book I was just drawn to um and and um and the only reason frankly I was drawn to it is because the man that wrote the um, the, the, the little blurb on the back is uh, going to be at the, the at Greenville back. Seminary. And uh, who's that? Conrad. Say his last name for me because I'll mess it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Conrad uh, Mbewe. 
Mbewe. Yeah. See, I mean, if I had to say that, I never would have got it. <laughs> Mbewe. I have to do it phonetically. <laughs> well, anyway, he's going to be at the Greenville Seminary pre-conference chapel. Okay. And, um, and so it, I, I was just looking at his comments, and it really – he echoes what you, of course, the author, uh, say uh, as far as the, the love, the passion, the pastoral concern that this letter really carries. And, and unfortunately, I think what has happened uh, because of the eschat, because of the love for eschatology, yeah. and I think sometimes out of balance love uh, for eschatological issues, our our need to have our curiosity satisfied. Um, First and Second Thessalonians become the book of Paul's eschatological unfolding. Now that's not necessarily untrue. Yep. yep. Um, but that's um, but it's but that issue is isn't it unfolded really inside of that bigger circle of his love and concern for them? That's right. Yeah. I mean, you even have that in One Thessalonians four and five, um, where Paul doesn't just you know, make this abrupt transition, say, oh, by the way, let's talk about end times and, you know, let's gather a conference together and figure out when Jesus is coming yeah, back. Is, yeah, we'll sell a lot yeah. of letters if we, if we write about eschatology. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he writes to them and, and says that he doesn't want them to be ignorant and to be uninformed about those who are asleep, you know, those who have died trusting in Christ. And then at the end of that section, um, he says, this is the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, uh, encourage one another with these words, and again at the at the end of this of uh, the next paragraph, uh, one Thessalonians five eleven, he says it again: encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are doing. So his concern for eschatology is not for eschatology's sake. His concern is for the the, the congregation's health, for its you know for its knowledge, for its practice, um, for its you know comfort and encouragement, for its faith, hope, and love. Yeah, and, and and as you were saying that, I was thinking about how the Apostle Paul was using eschatological issues to encourage and strengthen. Um, and sadly, in our church today, and I suspect it's been like this for a while, um, this one particular loci of theology has become almost a battering ram for uh, various groups and um, almost a defining element uh, as to whether or not you really believe the Bible. That's right, that's uh, right. And... and of course, we know Paul was a post-millennialist, and um, so, uh, I mean, it's really no issue, right? I, okay, I was, that, that was a little bit of a joke. I, I, it was a lot of a joke. Um, but I, I guess, what is Paul's eschatological uh, thrust? Uh, in other words, I mean, it's impossible to classify it, you know, amillennial, post-millennial. But, yeah. um, but a number of issues have obviously come out of these two letters. Um, we have the dispensational position of the rapture, and they, yep. they they swear up and down that Paul's teaching the rapture in that text. So let's talk let's talk about that. And and obviously you've studied it, you've preached through yeah. it, um, and I probably know your position already, but the listeners may not. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. Um, I mean I the circles in which I was converted and at least initially you know taught the Bible. Um, were uh, pre-tribulational, pre-millennial, secret rapture, you know, heavy. <laughs> you know, I mean, grew up in it. It's like came to Christ in it. Yeah, I mean, whenever I remember one time in a church, you know, it wasn't the church that I, you know, went to every single week. It was during a midweek Bible study at a very large church, uh, and uh, the pastor had decided, you know, enough was enough, and he was going to st- cut off his current preaching series. I don't even recall what it was, but he said, you know, it's time for this church to get back to basics, you know, you know, and people yelling out, amen, amen. And, uh, you know, and I, and I was a young Christian. I was probably a Christian for two and a half, you know, maybe two, yeah, one, two, three years, somewhere in that range. It was very early on. And, uh, and getting back to basics was 1 Thessalonians 4, the rapture. And that, that was, oh boy, that was the basics, you know? And so for, a, for, for a lot of believers out there, you know, and a lot of us who are reformed, you know, pastors, you know, we we remember the past that we come out of, or maybe we grew up in a reformed church, but we have people that come to us who are coming to us from broadly evangelical churches, and you know, uh, there are a lot of guys out there who, you know, this is not what they really care about, another bread and butter, and so it's confusing to them. And but a lot of people out there, you know, are 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 enthralled by eschatological 
um, speculations because they're interesting and they're exciting. You know, you know, if you want to sell books, build, uh, you know, start a conference, build a church. I mean, if you do a series on eschatology and the rapture and the antichrist and why this political party is antichrist or why this guy right. over here and you know why this war why this war is going to lead into that. I mean, that that's what gets people excited. But uh, again, you have Paul in one Thessalonians four, who's trying to comfort real Christians who have lost loved ones by natural death, possibly persecution. We're not sure. He doesn't say, but they, there are Christians who are remaining in Thessalonia, uh, Thessalonica and their Christian friends, loved ones, family members have died. And so he doesn't want them to be ignorant about those uh, who are asleep and not to grieve as those without hope uh, because uh, they, they were for some reason thinking that if you died, when Jesus came, if you die before Jesus came, you wouldn't be taken up. You, right. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be with him. And so that's why he says, no, uh, it's the complete opposite, right? It's the, the reality is that, you know, those who are alive when Jesus returns, that they will not precede, he says, those who have fallen asleep. And so the graves will be opened up first. The dead in Christ will rise first. Uh, and then we who are alive, that's, then there comes that quote-unquote rapture verse. Uh, we who are alive uh, will be caught up together uh, with them. Uh, and it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, and I make a point of this in the book, you know, that, that language of being caught up together with them, that there is a, a heavenly reunion with our loved ones that Paul is, is comforting them with, that you'll see them again. You'll be with them again uh, as you're caught up. Uh, their bodies are reunited with their souls. Those who are alive, their bodies are transformed uh, to be like Christ's glorious body. And together, we will meet Christ uh, in, uh, in the air. And so always, therefore, uh, we'll, we'll be with him. And so Paul's point uh, is, number one, to comfort. And number two, in terms of, you know, well, what does the text say and the timing of this all and so forth? Um, It should be clear, at least as I read it, it should be clear that the, 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 the thing that Paul's describing is such a cataclysmic, public, visible, dramatic, right. you know, return of Christ. That's right. Um, that this cannot be some, some secret, you know, hidden, you know, precursor to a much later uh, return. I mean, there. That's the language there. It's the cry of command. It's the war cry. This is the Jericho, the walls of Jericho, falling down kind of language. Uh, you have the archangel uh, crying out. You have the trumpets, right? That's that's old. So much, so much for a secret. Yeah. Then, and, and I mean, everybody sees this. Everybody hears right. this. This is not. This is a public declaration yeah. of the yeah. coming of the king. And what's the sound of a trumpet? Well, there are two kinds of trumpets in the Old Testament. There are actual silver trumpets, uh, right. and those were blown in in the temple. For worship, but there's also the ram's horn, which were used as for war. war cries. Right? This right. is this is the the sound of war. This is a public, you know, invasion. This is coming back to the world uh, to take it for himself. You know, once and for all. Uh, this is not just inaugurating his kingdom, uh, leaving us with the Holy Spirit and the church to occupy. This is this is the king returning uh, to his kingdom uh, to put everything right. And so, uh, and then, you know, we'll rise, the devil rise, we'll be translated if we're left, uh, to be with him, uh, forever. Um, so to, as I read that text, uh, you know, I, I, even when I was in the dispensational premillennial, you know, kind of, the, the, you know, Calvary chapel or, uh, you know, the, the kind of churches I was in Pentecostal churches, um, that the text always was sort of a thorn in my side because, you know, how, how can it be, uh, that what Paul is describing there is a secret rapture. Uh, and so, you know, the only explanation I ever heard was somebody likened it to a dog whistle. <laughs> yes. I, yes. I've heard, I've heard that same explanation that only the Christians only, can hear it. The and, hear the sound, yeah. Yep. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, that's how Christ came the first time. I mean, it, you know, when you look at the, the, the initial advent, the first advent of Christ, it was it was somewhat, I mean, I don't want to say it was like that. It wasn't. It, there was a sense in which it was publicly announced. Of course, the angels yeah. to the shepherds in the field and, and the, the wise men within the star, and they knew. But but in general, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of fanfare. That's right. That's right. 
Uh, but the second time Christ returns, there's going to be a great deal of fanfare yeah. because he's come to consume. He's come to consummate this great work that he be, that he did and is now completed. And he's going to meet with his people. He's going to live with his people. He's going to dwell with his people. I mean, this. I, I don't know how that can be missed, but okay, yeah, that's right. Um, I, I guess you know. And, and as I mentioned earlier, there there just seems to be this sense in which, if you don't hold to these. Uh, these views that you know were born out of the 1830s, 1840s, yeah. um, with Darby um, primarily, and then it just evolved. For, oh, there's that word again, but evolved yeah. from there. It kind of took a life of its own. But uh, um, and this is not to dismiss. I mean, if you're listening to this program and you're and you you hold to premillennial historic, if you're premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, like I'm not trying to criticize you. I I, I grew up in that. The Lord used. A, a Baptist dispensational church to bring me to faith in Christ and an understanding of his word and to love his word. And, uh, and, and God does that. Um, but you know, again, the, the issue for us as we are examining these, this book that, that, that Danny Hyde has written as well as the text itself is that we want to be as faithful as we can be. And, um, and, 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 and that's the reason why I just started this discussion with the reality that Paul's writing this to comfort people. And if this is some kind of secret thing that's going to happen a thousand, you know, a million years from their own future and all this other business, how is that comforting? Yeah. And so this is an important, the context is very important to understanding what he's eschatologically saying. But here's an interesting thought that I had. Um, does Paul say everything there is to say about the return of Christ in First and Second Thessalonians? Yeah, I mean, obviously we'd have to say no, um, because if you read Paul's other letters, you know, there are details here and there and so forth. I mean, he's given us the general contour, I would say, the general outline. Uh, and then, you know, you read what Paul says, and then you got to add, what, Je- what, you know, what what did Jesus say? You know, obviously, you know, we're, we're, we are assuming, uh, rightly so, I believe, that the apostles, not just Paul, but the other apostles, what they write is a faithful spirit-guided interpretation and uh, explanation of what Jesus taught, um, which is obviously then rooted in the Old Testament. So, you know, these things all go together. And so, you know, we, we, we can't make, you know, an entire theology out of a verse. We, we shouldn't make, you know, an entire theology out of even one writer um, or one book, you know. And so if you're preaching or reading through, studying, you know, 1 Thessalonians, you don't want to read that just in isolation. I mean, you, you want to right. see what it says and, you know, kind of outline it, if you will. What does Peter say, you know, in, yep. in Second Peter, for example, or Jude? You know, Jude adds in more, you know, obviously, you know, difficulty in terms of, you know, how does this stuff fit into Book Revelation and so forth, or, or Matthew, um, Matthew's Gospel. So um, they're not easy questions, but no, I mean, we, we shouldn't look to Paul's, you know, writing here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, um, even 2 Thessalonians one and two as saying everything he's he's addressing a you know particular congregation that are having particular struggles and yep. so you know his his job his point is not to give a you know sort of a mini systematic theology his point is to comfort believers yep. absolutely yeah and it's and i and it, and it raises the, you know the all-important fact that um both as those who stand in the pulpit and preach, but those who teach God's word in Sunday school or whatever other medium is to remember to always interpret scripture with scripture. And, and if, you know, I, and, and the reason I asked that question is because uh, a pastor uh, that one of my former pastors preached through these two letters as well. And he said that when he got into these issues that everybody seems to glom onto and ignores the rest of the context. And um, he said that, you know, Paul is here not making an exhaustive statement about everything that can be said about eschatological issues. Um, You know, there's other factors, there's other other issues uh, to form our systematic around the, you know, the the book of Revelation, Matthew 24, and other passages. So uh, it's important to keep that in mind uh, because uh, everybody, they run to this text primarily as the secret rapture theory, which the word rapture, of course, is never used in the New Testament. Um, so, um, and that becomes the defining issue. And and so yep. when we look at other texts that seem to contradict it, uh, the question really should be, why does it seem to contradict it? Or why does it seem to run counter to it? And so um, that's, that's the only reason I brought that up, because uh, he's writing to a specific people for a specific period of time for a specific issue. And um, we need to start there. Now, application, of course, is, takes on a different tone. So um, that's one issue, of course. I mean, that you knew I was going to ask about the eschatological stuff because, well, 
let's face it. <laughs> That's what everybody asks. Um, let me ask you about the Antichrist. I mean, briefly, uh, you've studied, you've studied through the book, you know, we, you hold to the three forms of unity. Yeah. I believe that's your doctrinal standards. I'm, I'm Westminster confession. And so the original Westminster confession of faith makes a bold statement that the Antichrist is the Pope. Yeah, that's right. Now I know the American, the, the American revisions of the, of the confession, um, have eliminated that. Uh, I, I think they have I, now I'm better be careful. I'm not 100% sure, so I won't go. Yeah. I won't be definitive. Yeah. I'm showing my ignorance here. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that part is 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 excised from the American, you know, the PCA right. OPC okay. versions, right? There's right. nothing about the, about the papacy being antichrist. Now, so when 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 Paul is addressing this, and of course he's talking about the man of sin, and all this. Uh, what is he? What's his point? Yeah, if it's around the context of comfort and edification and encouragement, why get into all that in the first place? Obviously, he had a reason. Yeah. Um, you know, if, yeah, if you so if you read again in Second Thessalonians two, um, you know he addresses it in a very similar way uh, as yep. he did earlier in One Thessalonians four, where he talks about you know concerning the coming, uh, being gathered together uh, to him. You know that's describing that that verse that we just looked at One Thessalonians four. Uh, don't be quickly shaken, you know, in mind or alarmed either by spirit, uh, spoken word, uh, a letter that seems to come from us. So you know, evidently there there were. In Paul's absence, uh, false teachers, um, you know, people writing letters claiming to come from the apostles, um, which, you know, it's sort of an interesting internal New Testament commentary on, you know, what we look at now. We see, you know, all these unearthed letters, right? These, 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 yep, letters, yep. these letters in the New Testament that were, you know, that were squashed by, uh, by you know, by, by Caucasians who wanted to, you know, who wanted to usurp power and, uh, you know, and they didn't give they didn't give voice to women and so forth. I mean, minorities. I mean, we hear that kind of language, um, you know, in the in the in the broader culture and you know in the secular academy. But um, that's what's going on there. Is Paul saying, you know, there's basically there's a lot of confusion again. And even though he wrote that first letter, there's still confusion, which again is a commentary on the necessity for ongoing uh, sanctification and growth. And the ministry is not just you know you don't just preach a sermon. Uh, on a topic, and everybody gets it, and then you move on. I mean, these are things that are constantly in need of repetition and, and explanation. So, um, so Paul doesn't want people to be deceived um, and concerned, overly concerned, uh, confused. And so, uh, the day of the Lord can't come, he says in Second uh, Thessalonians two, until what he calls the rebellion comes first. And there's a, this mm-hmm. this you know, this man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, he opposes the, the Lord and uh, puts himself in the temple of God, which, you know, then that, that leads, you know, what is he talking about there? Well, I, I think it's clear from the New Testament that the phrase temple of God refers to the church. Um, right. And so, you know, he's describing some someone who's going to, at least in the visible church, uh, is is proclaiming himself to be God. I mean, this is the this is gen- it goes back to Genesis. This is, you know, the 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 oldest lie in the book that we can be like God. We can be like gods. And so, um, you know, is this the Roman Catholic papacy? And I'll just say, you know, in the book, I don't really take a position. Um, my personal, as I've read through the literature and studied the issue. Um, Although in my own tradition, you know, we, we don't explicitly say that in uh, our confession. Well, I should say in the original, we, we have the same issue. We have, uh, we have an original Belgic Confession of Faith that uh, in Article 36 talks about one of the duties of the civil magistrate is to promote uh, the church, the true church, so that uh, the Antichrist will be destroyed. Now, it doesn't say Antichrist is Rome, uh, the papacy, but that's... That's the common understanding, and I, I can point out uh, basically every single Dutch Reformed, Continental Reformed writer uh, at the at, at the time of the Reformation and, and after until you know the modern period believed this was the Roman Catholic papacy. So, uh, and it's not just you know the you know the Pope of that time or any particular Pope. Um, it's the office of the Pope, right? That, right. that sure. says, you know, he's the vicar. Well, what's the vicar of Christ? He's the representative of Christ. He stands in Christ's place. Uh, he is Jesus Christ 
uh, in the church, basically. I mean, in a human form, he's the voice of Christ. He determines the doctrines that Christ supposedly teaches. Uh, he, the, the current pope has declared that this year, if you go to Rome, you'll get an indulgence, forgiveness of all of your sins. So he, he claims to have the authority to forgive sins. I mean, yeah. that's a pretty bold claim, people. I mean, yes, yeah, no doubt. That's that's one of the claims that got Jesus into trouble, <laughs> that led to his crucifixion. So that's right. To claim right. that he can forgive sin. I mean, that's the story where uh, you know he heals the guy, and on the Sabbath day, and the Pharisees are absolutely blown away and they're scandalized. You know, how dare you uh, tell a guy to take up his his mat and walk on the Sabbath day? You know, and he says, "Well, what's it's easier to say? Get up and walk, or that your sins are forgiven." And so. He tells them, you know, that you'll know that I can forgive sins. Get up and rise and walk. So to, to say that you can forgive sins is the claim to be in the place, at least, at, at, you know, at a minimum, in the place of Christ. So um, anyway, so, so in the book, I, I, I deal with this a little bit. I have some footnotes that reference some other writings and so forth. But, um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, historic Protestant reforms, you know, Understanding of this text, this has been seen as uh, Paul writing about before the coming of the Lord that there would be someone that in the church, the visible church, would proclaim himself to be as God. And so that's seen as the Roman Catholic uh, papacy. Now, that's not a very popular view today. That's sort of looked down upon as, you know, that's just an old, you know, sort of adage from old, you know, bygone days. But I haven't really seen an interpretation of the text that, um, that offers an alternative. And so, you know, I'm willing to say, you know, that at minimum, the papacy is at least one antichrist. Oh, that, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there certainly can be other forms. I mean, we would certainly look to Islam and say Islam is an antichrist religion. Yeah, anything that opposes Christ's that's ministry right. and teaching the gospel is an antichrist. Yeah, that's right. Course. But, you know, um, yeah, as far as like, you know, the visible Christian professing church, I mean, there is no other candidate. <laughs> no. That's right. Well, they, I mean, these are the two, uh, obviously, within the context of encouragement and edification. These are uh, two yeah. of the bigger issues that Paul certainly brings up. But, but before we wrap up, and, and, and I want to talk about the layout of the book really quick, but I want to touch on one chapter that, that drew my attention to it. It's, at, it's really towards the end of the book. It's at the end of Second Thessalonians, actually. It's chapter 31 in your book. Um, but the, the subject is praying for the ministry, and I guess because of my context in, in life now, um, that drew my attention um, because it seems there that Paul is laying before the church there the importance of prayer for the ministry of the Word of God. And um, That's right. I, I'm not sure congregations, <clears throat> and I, I'm, I'm trying to say this very carefully because I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm not sure congregations um, get that. Um, they expect the pastor to, to labor hard and, and, and work hard over the scriptures and prepare good sermons and do all these things. And yet I wonder often how many times they understand their responsibility to pray diligently for that and for that work. Yeah, and I think I this think... chapter somewhat sets that out as he's talking to this church that's struggling in the first century. Yeah, and uh, I, I've told my own congregation that uh, in, in, in Paul's letters— um, on the one hand, you know, we believe that what Paul teaches in his letters and his epistles is that there is a distinction between uh, the, the office of, you know, ministry of the Word and, and, the, and the believer. There, there is a distinction. Now, it's not a, it's not a distinction of, uh, of um, you know, the, that the minister, the pastor, the elder— is set above the congregation. No, that's that's not what we how we see Paul writing. Um, but the ministry of the word is set apart for the church, um, and so there is a special office offices, you know, of of ministry within the church. But on the other hand, I told my congregation, you know, so with that in mind, you know, the the criticism is well, you know, then you have a clear, you know, a clergy versus a laity. Well, no, because Paul. On the one hand, describes this distinction that exists. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some are apostles, and so forth, uh, uh, ministers, elders. Um, uh, but then Paul also, in his letters, tells us that every single 
believer, every single member of Christ's body participates in the ministry. Mm. Um, and right. then, you know, then from our side of the fence, people say, well, then, you know, uh, you know, we don't believe in every member ministry. Well, here's what I mean is that Paul connects members to the ministry as participants in the ministry through two, through two means, prayer and financial giving. Yeah. Uh, so you see that, like, for example, in, in, in Philippians, where Paul connects giving to participating in Paul's apostolic preaching. Uh, and then you have in his letters, like in Thessalonians, about praying, where Paul, you know, implores members to pray for him that the word of God would have free course, that uh, the that the word would speed ahead, and so forth. And so, you know, to encourage people to realize that it's not just you know, yeah, the pastor is in a study all week and he's reading stuff and he's going to show up on Sunday, uh, you know, and I'm just sort of at my dinner table, just pray a quaint little prayer. No, when when you pray for your pastor. Uh, you are participating with him in that labor um, in a way that you don't ex- really feel. You know, it, it's hard to quantify it. That's right. But it's real. And so, um, you know, I, I would encourage people listening to this who are who are not pastors to pray and to tell your pastor, to tell the one who's who's up there that you've prayed for him throughout the week. And, uh, you know, you, you, you probably will see his face light up because a lot of Absolutely. times— you know, there's things going on that people don't know about. And then all of a sudden you get up and you preach and someone says, you know, hey, I was praying all week for you. And I'm so glad, you know, what you said, you know, was, was so poignant and it hit me. And, you know, people's prayers come true and 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 come to fruition. So, yeah, that, that's really an amazing thing that you see in Paul's letters, this idea that praying uh, is a participating with with the, the, the preaching of the word in that ministry. And it's and it's interesting to note that that here is the great apostle Paul, <laughs> yeah, asking for yep. and commending this and exhorting this right. work among the people. Yep. And I think of that, and I think, well, I'm, I mean, I'm nobody. Um, you yep. know, I'm nothing. And <laughs> so, um, how much more then do I desire, or should I desire, to see my the people that listen to me every week? Um, praying for me every week. If the great apostle Paul can ask for it, then I should be asking for it tenfold That's over. That's right. That's right. Um, and at the same time, our people, because I'm not the great apostle Paul, should be praying tenfold, tenfold more so for me because I'm not him. And you know, <laughs> yeah. not to not to elevate the apostle Paul, but I mean, I, I think people understand exactly what I'm communicating. Yep. Uh, yep. He's an apostle. Yep. Uh, by 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 virtue of his office, he speaks authoritatively. Well, I mean, how much prayer does that require? But Again, um, but here he is asking for it. Uh, please pray for us. We, we labor diligently for you. Please pray for us. We we need your prayers, and 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 so ministers need it. And um, you know, and I wanted to bring that out. It's it's one of many different things that are brought up in the book. We don't have time to deal with every issue, of course. Um, but I wanted to deal with the you know the controversial one. Everybody will like that, and then deal with this more <laughs> practical thing because um, it is very very essential the book is structured in such a way that it looks like a commentary but but what is your target now, when you wrote this or did you have a particular audience in mind were you thinking about just pastors or yeah the audience i mean the audience is uh i would say it has two targets um it's not don't ever tell a publisher that ahead of time because they won't publish it but um of course not. <laughs> there's two <laughs> targets uh, pastors to to give them uh, to encourage them in their own ministry as they meditate upon uh, these thes- uh, these letters to Thessalonica um, help them even you know with with uh, you know structuring you know um, a passage and you know with exposition application so you know and there's footnotes for further reading that you know gets into more of the issues but then the second target would be you know believers members of congregations you know how can they read these letters, how can they hear their pastor preach, you know, what is Paul saying about the ministry, what is he saying about members, you know, like we just talked about prayer, so, you know, written to believers, you know, a person can read this, you know, in their own personal Bible study, you know, it can be, it can be yep. used, you know, for a Bible study kind of a class, but really just writing to believers as they sit down and, and think through these letters, you know, to explain to them, hopefully in, in a memorable way, you know, in a practical way, you know, the topics that Paul brings up and how that applies today. You know, and 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 to kind of bridge that you know divide between two thousand year old letter and and contemporary reader. Yep. 
Yeah, and, and again, as I, as I've said earlier, these are these are this was born out of your sermons, and I just got to ask you. I've never asked this question of any author <laughs> who's done that, so I'm going to ask this question. It's not a, don't don't be afraid of it. Um, how does that work? Because yeah. obviously, the spoken word is not the written word. Yeah. Um, and and so, just briefly, how how does that how does that process work work itself out? Uh, it's not easy. <laughs> oh. That's for sure. Um, if you preach on a manuscript, yeah, it might study, be a little easier. I mean, yeah, I mean, my my yeah, my methodology as far as like preparation for a sermon is, you know, to to study obviously to read and so forth. And I actually type out a pretty extensive manuscript. And I but but I but I will have footnotes to things that I've read because obviously a sermon manuscript um, is is going to be written in a way that could be read as a sermon, you know, it can be preached, and so. Um, a lot of the things that I study and read and th- find interesting, they're not relevant for a sermon. Um, and so right, what I right. do for, for myself, what I do is I just footnote those things in my actual manuscript so that I don't forget them. Um, and because I think, you know, hey, maybe down the road I'll come back to this. You know, maybe I'll, write, yeah, sure. maybe I'll preach it again. I'll write an article. Somebody asks me a question. At least I know where to go. And so for me, it's sort of like a handy reference. Um, sure. As far as yeah, as far as like then taking all that material and then putting it into a book, yeah, it takes a lot more time to do that than it does the actual sermon writing preparation. Um, yeah, it's not easy. Uh, you know, some people have said you shouldn't do it, but I've tried to take the sermonic form um, and apply that you know to the chapters where so the chapters have you know here's a text, here's a big idea. Here are the main points, uh, but then you know basically rewrite it into uh, you know a, a book form, sure, uh, which is different. Um, yeah, but it, it takes a lot um, more time to transfer things from sermon form into book than people would realize. Yeah, I'm just wondering why would people have a problem with you doing that? Well, some people think that uh, you know once you preach a sermon, you know it's done with, and you know you, you should never turn sermons into you know in, into books you should, and. You know, and other people are concerned about it because they don't. It doesn't ser- buying sermon books doesn't sell. Um, so there's kind of two concern. Yeah, there's two concerns that I've heard. Prag- pragmatic concern, yeah. and then there's sort of the sale. Uh, there's sort of the sale side of it, which is you know the minor concern. Right. The more the major concern is people would be well, you know, preaching is not writing, and you know this and that and the other thing. Well, I. Yeah, and I don't think the book yeah. comes off it trying to yeah. accomplish that. I, you know, if we're going to make that kind of a designation well we got a lot of great sermons from the uh through our reference through our protestant and reformed heritage that we better just go ahead and burn yeah yeah Um, i I i find reading yeah reading sermons myself i find you know interesting helpful just to you know it's the same edifying it's the same thing as you know hey i'm Romans six this Sunday. Let me go on sermonaudio.com and uh you know find a find a sermon or two and just listen as i'm doing something else you know hey how is this guy you know, organizing the material. How is this guy sort of entering, you know, how is this guy introducing his sermon to his people? How is he illustrating, right. you know, not that you knock off everybody else's work, but it's just helpful for me at least to think about how someone else does it um, to, to stimulate me to do, you know, my own work sure. and to do it Absolutely. better. That's right. You know, the, yeah. And it's, and, uh, Right. I, that's what I think this book does. I, I don't think it, it tries to be a sermon, um, yeah, that's right. it came, but it was born from it. In yeah. other words, the the, the, writ, the origin was that, but that's not what its intention is. I like the fact that it's written in such a way that the average, and I say average, I mean non-theoretical, uh, yeah. theologically trained individual formally um, can grasp what's written and stated um, there is one thing I wish it had. I wish it had discussion questions at the end of the chapter that could be then inter- yep. interjected into Bible study groups, but maybe that's something for another project for another day. Yeah. Um, but, but I think it's well, well written in that sense that it, it, it communicates easily to the average person. Like, you know, I could hand it to, you know, a person in the pew and say, hey, you know, I'm going to be preaching through this. This these two letters and and this is a book that will will help you will help you if you want to follow along meditate on the things I'm talking about this will help you and um, so it's um, it's written in that way and it's helpful I think yeah thanks. Uh, to do thanks. that how um how can listeners get it you know I, I originally thought it was put out by another publisher that I won't state <laughs> out loud um, and I was corrected by a friend of mine um, 
rather abruptly. Um, <laughs> I was, and I was miffed actually that it wasn't. So, but who who published it? Yeah, it's published by uh, EP Books, which used to be called Evangelical Press. It's the same thing. Right. So, so Evangelical yep. Press, EP Books, um, their website. It's available on their website. It's available, you know, Amazon. Uh, of course. Reformation, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I, I would encourage people to buy it from EP Books or, like, Reformation Heritage Books. Uh, I believe Westminster Seminary Philadelphia Books is going to have it at some point, um, if they don't already. Um, yeah, so, you know, and if a person lives somewhere where, you know, they, they don't live by a, a Christian bookstore, you know, any bookstore, you can order any book from any bookstore. So right. anybody out there can go to their local, you know, mom-and-pop bookstore uh, and ask, hey, can you order this book for me? And they can find it for you. And you know, it might cost you a little more than Amazon, but I always find buying books from someone is you know better. Yep. Well, it, you mentioned Reformation Heritage Books. They're going to be the they're going to be the books the bookstore oh, okay. at the the GPTS Spring Theology Conference. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, you know what, I'm going to be at the conference and I'm I'd like to get this book. It'll probably be there and, and probably at a reduced rate or whatever. I don't know how they're going to do things. But uh, um, so just hang on, come to the conference, buy it there. So that's right. Um, that's right. Anyway, there, there, there's multiple avenues. Of course, Amazon has it. Amazon has everything. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, always amazes <laughs> me. Anyway, no, I, I really appreciate the, the way the book was put together. And, um, and, and I've added it to my collection of commentaries on those letters which i don't have many of sadly which just says that not much has been written yeah uh, and not it hasn't been treated um extensively as some other books like romans and revelation right. and and whatnot so uh, but i really do appreciate it and and um and thank you for your time today i know um i've been holding my breath um for those who do not know i we're conducting this interview right in the middle of an ice storm, and I'm doing it from the Hill Command bunker in <laughs> at my house, actually, instead of my normal studio office where I do these things. And uh, but holding my breath throughout the entire interview, waiting for the power to go out. And um, but it hasn't happened, and we thankful for the Lord's providence in that and um, and the discussion. It's been very good and encouraging uh, to interact with some of these issues. Do you have any final words uh, other than buy the book? <laughs> yeah. Uh, besides. Funding my children's pizza fund. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> At least you said pizza fund, not college yeah, fund. Yeah, pizza fund. That's that's basically what it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a labor of love. It's a labor of love. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I just found for myself as I preached and as I did all the work later on of, you know, putting this into a book, uh, so edifying, so helpful to read through, you know, Paul's letters, which reveal his heart. Uh, to encourage us, you know, as, as pastors, as seminary students, as members, as elders, you know, as as a person who's shut in and who can't get out to hear the word preached, to think about, you know, Paul's letters and just how wonderful it is. And obviously, you know, as, as you reflect upon Paul's love for for the congregation and vice versa, you know, it is a uh, a human reflection of the the greater love that Christ has for the for the church and that we ought to have for Him. So. Yeah, I encourage encourage people to think about these letters deeply, and and to you know, at the end of the day, we want uh, we want to we want to read scripture so that we can worship Christ. That's right. That's right. Well said. The title of the book again is from the pen of Pastor Paul. It's written by Reverend Daniel Hyde. He's a, a minister in the uh, United Reformed Church and pastoring currently in Oceanside. Um, California. So again, if you're interested in the book, Amazon, Reformation Heritage Books, um, um, Evangelical Press, which is the publisher, um, and we're thankful to them for sending us the review copies for this um, for this particular discussion. Daniel Hyde, it's been great talking with you, and uh, wish you well, and pray for your ministry, and that the Lord would bless uh, you and your congregation richly as you labor for them. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Let me tell everybody real quick as we wrap up uh, this particular edition, um, coming up next week, um, Dr. Michael Morales will be on the program to talk about his brand new book that he has written, um, Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord? A Biblical Theology of the Book of Leviticus. Those who know Dr. Morales know uh, that he's very passionate about um, about biblical theology, and um, I've had the, pleasure, uh, the privilege and pleasure of being his student uh, at, at Greenville Seminary. And so he is the professor of biblical studies at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. 
Seminary. We'll have him on to talk about this brand new book and um, one that I think will edify you greatly as you see the the, the panorama of the hist- of redemption uh, unfolding throughout the first five books of the Old Testament. It's fantastic uh, to, to see. And then after uh, Dr. Morales, the following week we'll have uh, Pastor Brian Croft on. He has written extensively on pastoral ministry, and he blogs regularly at Practical Shepherding practicalshepherding.com so um, look forward to those two particular uh, discussions and uh, one very theological and one very practical um, as it relates to the ministry uh, in general so uh, until then we do thank you for listening uh, to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary and God bless